This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Parashat Ba'alotcha has an interesting story with Moshe Rabbeinu. And HaKadosh Baruch in that story tells Moshe Rabbeinu to pick out the Sanhedrin. After the nation was starting to complain, and Moshe Rabbeinu says, it's hard for me to deal with this whole nation alone, HaKadosh Baruch says, let me get you some help, and that is the Sanhedrin, 70 people. Fermer Adonai Moshe, Esfali Shiv'im Ish Mizikne Israel. Collect for me 70 people from the elderly of Am Israel, those are the people that you know that were the soldiers or the, the, the policemen, bring them to Al Moed, let them be there with you. What does that mean? What kind of policemen are we talking about over here? And why did HaKadosh Baruch say to Moshe Rabbeinu that you know? It seems like Moshe Rabbeinu alone knew that they, these were uh, the soldiers, which is a little bit uh, uh, puzzling because everybody else knew that as well, as we're going to see in this Rashi. Esfali shivimish mizikne Israel, asher yadata kiem zikne am veshotrav. Rashi says, otam shayata makir shenitmanu alehen shotrim bemitzrayim bavodat parich. These were the ones that were in charge of the slaves, am Israel, they were in charge to make sure they bring the right amount of bricks every single day. The Noxim, where the, the, there were the um, Egyptians soldiers, they were on top of the Jewish soldiers, and the Jewish soldiers were supposed to make sure that Am Israel brings a certain amount of bricks every single day. And if they would not bring that amount of bricks, the Noxim, the soldiers, the, the the Egyptian soldiers will beat up the Jewish policemen. And this is exactly what happened. Since the Jewish policemen felt bad for Am Israel, they didn't want them, they didn't want to oppress them too much. They didn't want to make them work extra hard. It was enough hard for them. They didn't want to make they want they didn't want to beat them up and make them bleed and hurt. So therefore the Shotrim took the beat themselves, took it took it on themselves. And they, the Noxim, used to beat up every single day the Shotrim. The reason for that is was every day there wasn't the right amount of bricks being brought and made, and therefore the Shotrim used to get beat up. The soldiers, the Jewish soldiers, were feeling uh, bad for Am Israel, they were feeling Rachmanut, and they would get beat up because of them. And therefore, since they got beat up for Klal Israel, says HaKadosh Baruch now, Right now, they're going to get rewarded. For that time that they got beat up, they didn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. They, they, they just did it, Mamash, because they didn't want their brothers to be hurt and to be beat up and to work so, so hard. They let go of the hard pressure, and therefore they got beat up at the time that it didn't look like they're getting anything out of it. The Mamash did it, L'Shem Shamaim, and for the brothers, and therefore, the word for that says, Hashem, that right now they're going to be nitmane, they're going to be appointed as Zikne Israel. They should stand there with you at the time that this is happening. What's the purpose of standing there? 
when you are appointing them, says Rashi, Kadesh Yiru Yisrael, v'inagu bahem gdula v'kavod, in order that Am Yisrael would respect them, would honor them. V'yomru chavivim elu sheniknesu im Moshe, l'shmoa dibur mipi ha'kadosh v'ochu. Am Yisrael would say that obviously these people are likable and respected since they're standing there with Moshe Rabbeinu and appointed by Hashem Yitbarach himself. So that's, that's very, very strange. The, 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 those people, those, nesi, those uh, Zikne Israel, used to get beat up at Mitzrayim for Klal Israel. Not w- one month, two months, the whole time they were getting beat up for Klal Israel. And they were doing that, Mamash, just to save the people, just to help them out. How is it possible that they, they weren't respected up to now? That now you need to tell them, now that uh, make sure that they stand together with you so people would respect you. Why didn't they get the respect up to now? That's a very puzzling question. And the answer to that, maybe we can introduce with the following story that's written in the Sefer of Chaim Valder, a famous Israeli author, that writes in a story called Ben Tachat Ben, Son Under a Sun. And he says over there, he tells us about a story that happens years ago in Eretz Yisrael. One of the men over there, named, uh, that, that man was Chaim Brand, and one day he gets a call from the hospital and he says that he's a match for bone marrow, for, for a patient that's looking for bone marrow a transplant, he should come and be and donate the marrow uh, in the hospital. And Chaim Brand tries to get some uh, information in order to know who is this, the person that is given to him, it was available at the time. And when he gets that information, he comes and he tells his father the good news. His father was Moshe Brand, he was the person that worked for Hevra Kadisha, burying uh, people at, uh, at Eretz Israel very famous uh, barrier, and this Kavran, Moshe Frant, when he hears his, uh, his son telling him the story, he was very excited until he gets to the name of the person that, fa- that, that, that needs the transplant. He says that his name is Israel Bartov, and he's the son of somebody in the name of Glickman, Glickman Bartov. When Moshe Brand hears that story, his face turns white, and he tells his son, I don't allow you in any way to give away and go for the, for the bone marrow transplant. I'm not allowing it in any way. You're not going to give those tissues to that person. The son of Glickman, which the name was Israel Bartov, that was lying in bed, and the doctors gave him a very short time to live if he doesn't find a donor, was there... At the, de- at, at the bed waiting for that transplant. They looked out throughout the whole uh, country, and the only one they could have found was this person, Chaim Brand. Chaim Brand was amazed. Had his father answer, he tried to convince him. He told him that it's a life of a Jewish person that's on the line. And his father, Moshe Brand, was not allowing Beshum Panim Ve'ofen. He didn't want to hear about it. He said, absolutely not. I would not allow this. No way. And it's a, it was very puzzling to him because his father was a very righteous man, was a person that always helped everybody. He worked out in the Hevel Kadisha and tried to help out the people that are alive and people that are dead and tried to help out all people that he can 
all the time. He was a person that's very devoted to the nation of, of Israel. And therefore it was very strange to him. The way that it goes is that people started talking around town and saying, how is it possible that this Chaim Brand would not give the transplant, would not, would not allow to take it? It's very strange. Why wouldn't try to help out another Jew? And slowly, slowly the, the, the message went into town. People started all talking about it. It was very strange to him. He came out of the house and he kept on bumping into people that asked him, what's going on, what's going on? The way he excused it and he said that he would be willing to give it out right away. But the, his father does not allow at all to even think about doing such a thing. His father told him, absolutely not. The rabbi came to Chaim Bran and told him that you need to know that you don't need to listen to your father in such a, uh, such a case. The halakha is only to listen to a father and mother when they don't contradict the laws of the Torah. But over here, since you have to help and save another Jew, you don't have to listen to your father. Chaim Brand, when he heard that, he went to research and he saw in Halakha that it's not so pashut that he needs to give anyway uh, a bone marrow to anybody because the Halakha doesn't, even if the father doesn't say anything, the Halakha doesn't require you to do such a thing. You don't have to give out of yourself. It's not, a, it's not a requirement. It's not an obligation. It's a nice thing, but it's not an obligation. Therefore, when people kept on pushing that idea on him that he has to do it and he's not allowed to listen to the father, he told them that in Halakha he doesn't have to, he's not obligated to do anything anyway. With the family of this uh, patient, Israel Bautov, was waiting and waiting, and the doctors told them that there is good news that they found a donor. But, meanwhile, they're not getting any answer. When is he coming? And the time passes, and they don't know why it's taking so long. His father, is, uh, of, of Israel Bautov, was trying to find out it, what, what's going on, what's taking so long, why is the person not coming already forward, and my son has to wait like this, we don't have much time, on our hand to, until, until things uh, start getting uh, bad over here. And therefore, we need to rush the process. Nobody wanted to tell him about what's going on with Chaim Brand. Actually, when one finally was, was uh, decided that he's going to tell him, he decided that he's going to be the one that's going to come and break, for him, break to him the news, he came to the father of Israel Bartov, this Mr. Glickman, and told him that you need to know that although he found a donor, but he's not willing to give and help. And when he heard that, he was very much hurt. He started mamash like breaking up. How is it possible? Let me see, let me talk to him. They told him, the doctors told him that it's impossible to talk to him because it's confidential and you can't tell anybody who the donor is. And therefore, they're going to try on his behalf to go again and try to convince him. But they came to Chaim Brand again and asked him, why is it that this is happening? He told them that normally I would not listen to anybody that tells me to do anything like that. Saving somebody else would come by me as a first thing, and I would definitely go and do as, as needed. But over here, it's my father that's asking me, and you need to know that my father is not a regular person. My father had a lot of qualities. 
One of them, for instance, he never asked me anything in my life to do, anything that really has to, to do, anything that, that's really something important like this thing, he never, never got involved in anything in my life. So if he's asking me one time to do something, it's very hard for me to tell him no. And secondly, my father is not a regular person. My father is a person that helps everybody. My father is devoted to Klal Yisrael. My father, when he would hear such a story, he would be the first one to run and try to help anybody. And obviously, over here, since he's so stubborn, and his decision, there's got to be a real reason behind it. And although I don't know it, but I know my father, and if my father made such a decision, and he comes with such takfut to tell me, there's no way you're going to give it out, I know there's got to be something behind it, and I can't doubt my father's decision. When they ask him, so what is what are we supposed to do? What's the solution? How can we help out this patient that's dying? He told them, look, Pesach is coming in another couple of days. It was Erev Pesach, that story. And you need to know that when my father is going to start drinking at Lela Seder, he's going to open up. Usually my father is a very closed person. But when he drinks a little bit wine, he opens up a little bit. And then maybe we can try our luck and see that maybe tell us what's the reason that he's so stubborn over here. And maybe open up also and tell us that it's fine to do it. Let's go try to talk to him. So this is how it went. At the night of the Seder, people came, and they came with, uh, with the rabbi, and also the person that was very much involved, that the name was Azariah, into the house of the family of Brand. And when the father, Moshe Brand, started drinking a little bit, they came to him and they told him, look, there's a real story over here, something that's really nogea to a person's life. Help us out. And at the time, Moshe Brand was a little bit high on the, on the drink, on the alcohol, and you could see that he was sitting quiet for a couple of minutes, and then tears came out of his eyes, and he started opening up. And he said, I know how you feel about me. I know that you probably hate me. You probably feel that I'm so stubborn. You feel that I'm such a bad person, a vicious person. But you need to know that little do you know about what I went through in my life. And I'll tell you exactly the story. When I was a little kid, I was born in Varsha, in Warsaw. And over there, in Warsaw, I was the, the comedian of the town. I used to even get my Paranasa as a comedian. People would hire me for weddings to say jokes. And until I got married, when I got married at a very young age, I had a year after a boy. The boy we named Lulik. That boy, Lulik, was a very mischief. Was a boy that's been all over town. He used to do all kind of mischief things. He was a very uh, uh, lebedic boy, a boy that runs and does all kind of things around town. If something would go wrong, you know that behind it, it was always Lulik. And therefore, when he grew up, he kept doing the same. Was the same person. Not only that he was a comedian like me, but he was also somebody that anybody knew whenever you see trouble, that would be Lulik. Eventually, the war started, and the World War II started, and we were deported to Ghetto Valsha in Warsaw. And at that place, it was a very hard place to live in, a very, very hard place. The Jewish people were suffering, suffering tremendously over there. 
the one that tried to help out everybody was no one else than Lulik, my son. Lulik, my son, was able to do things that nobody understood how. He was able to get people food, a large amount of food, drinks, and also sharp objects that eventually he made into weapons that he wanted to use against the Germans. This Lulik eventually was known to the German. They found out about him. And it was pretty obvious how it was found out, because in Warsaw there was a lot of spies and people that would open their mouth, and also you had the Jewish policemen called the Judenreit. Judenreit were very vicious people that were worse than the Germans themselves. They would try to find the, 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 the Jewish people and deport them to, uh, um, to be killed. And it was clear in my eyes that the informers to tell the Germans about my children was those Judenreit. Eventually, we tried to hide Lulik and make sure that he's not going to be known more to the Germans, they're not going to find him. And one day, somebody comes, somebody from the Judenreit comes to our house and tells us that we're going to be moved to a different town. The horrible that we went to was the ghetto in Buchenwald. And eventually, we went together with me, my, my wife, and my child, Lulik, to that ghetto. In that place, we found out that Ghetto Warsaw, Mina Shamaim, was completely destroyed, and we were saved by that move. But we took it very, very hard that the one that deported us, we found out, was no one else than this person, Glickman. This person that you see over here that needs, his, uh, uh, needs the bone marrow for his uh, donor, for his child, is no one else than the couple of that ghetto. His name was Bomba Glickman. Bomba Glickman was known to be a very vicious man, very hard man. He was a very big man, and he, he was known to, to, to everybody around that whenever he comes in, also the problems come with him. Also the, the killing come with him. The, 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 the worst things that could happen would come when he comes into the place. And therefore, when we found that this Glickman, this Bomba Glickman, was the one that made sure to depart us, we felt very horrible about this person. And we started cursing him together with everybody around. Day and night, we hated him with all our heart. And eventually, at that place, at the new place, at, uh, at, at the new ghetto in Buchenwald, we saw that it was, uh, it was the same Lulik again, that was trying to help out all the Jewish people, trying to get the all kind of uh, different uh, items of food and all kind of sharp things in order to build up for the for the right time and saw some ammunition ammunition in order to fight the Nazis. Eventually, when time comes, also there after a while, they collected all the Jews and they started making them work very very hard until the last breath. And when they couldn't work anymore, they would send them to be killed by the, by the gases. The children, though, were not so much of a need for the, for the Nazis. They were young children who couldn't work, so therefore they collected all of them and they killed them right away. When they collected all the kids, I thought, he says, Moshe uh, Brand, that they also collected my son, Lulik. And therefore, I was very much hurt. I was, I was crying 
and I was very much in pain. But when I came home and started crying, I hear tapping from the top of the, of the roof. And I look up and I see eyes of a little boy, and I see it's no one else than Lulik. Lulik was able to escape somehow and stay there. And from then on, something interesting happened. This Lulik used to hide over there at the attic behind the, behind the wall, right by the roof, behind the roof. And every night he would come out and jump from one place to another place, collect food, give it to me, and I would give it out to the people. Together with that, again, he collected all other things. All kind of strange things happened throughout town. Like, for instance, sometimes some Germans got killed. We all knew that this wasn't just a coincidence. This was the hands of Lulik. But nobody knew about Lulik because he was hiding. And eventually, slowly, slowly, the word got out because people understood that if there's food that's coming in and it's me that's col collecting and giving it, obviously Lulik is behind the whole thing. People knew Lulik from the old days. And therefore, the word come out, came out with the right informers to the Germans. One day, this Bomba Glickman, the Jewish couple, came into my place and he knocked on the door and he said, I know Lulik is hiding. Beware. You make sure that your boy is not going to be out anymore. He caused us enough trouble. If we find out one more time about him, we'll take him and we'll kill him. I started jumping at him and screaming at him that, he, that he's a murderer, he's a, he's a bad person. And I started naming him all kind of names. And he just closed the door and he left. The next morning, he came together with two Germans and he started tapping on the walls until he found no one else than Lulik. He grabbed him, he took him, and right before he leaves, Luli came to me, he hugged me, and he said to me that I need to know that it's very, very short before they take everybody to the gases that are going to kill us. Make sure that you escape. I have everything behind the roof. Use everything for your uh, help and make sure that you escape from this ghetto. And the story went that in reality, I did use those things, and I went along with few people, and we did escape. But we never heard of Lulik again. And when I came back to Israel, and I built my life again with my wife, I had another child. And this child is this Chaim that's standing here in front of you. And now that I found out that the child of this Bomba Glickman, the vicious Jew that was the couple, at the, at, at, by the Nazis, I couldn't any, in any way help out his child. There's no way I'm going to help out his child. After he finished his story, the rabbi that was together there with Azariah and another helper looked at Moshe Brand and told him that it's an amazing story and we feel your pain. But you need to know that although the pain is so great, but the right thing to do is go through that Nisayon the way HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants us to. Hashem gave you that Nisayon, and you shouldn't punish the child of Glickman because of his father's crimes. If he would be his father, let his father suffer. But it's over here we're talking about his child. 
And therefore, lo yumtu banim alavot. You can't punish his child. You have to do the right thing. Moshe Brand took his time until he realized that they are right. He needs to do the right thing. Although it's very painful, although it's very hard, he told Chaim that this is the right thing and this is what you need to do. The story goes the following. When they come to the hospital and he goes to the transplant, the bone marrow transplant, at the end of the procedure, this Glickman comes to the rabbi and to Azaria that was taking care and making sure that this will happen and tells them, I want to thank the, the, the person that, that, uh, that saved my life, my child's life. They told him, we don't suggest it, it's not a good idea. You stay over here and don't go. But he says, why? Why is that? Somebody that saves my, my son, I'm not going to go and thank him. He told him, don't do that. You stay here and you do as we say. Glickerman got very hurt. He saw that all of the sudden the people changed the way they behaved. Until now they were so they were so compassionate to him. They were so understanding, they tried to help in every way. All of a sudden they changed the way they behaved. They they, they spoke to him very harshly. He didn't understand why. But the reason was after they heard the story, they couldn't look at the face of Glickerman. They saw the bad couple that killed and hurt so many Jewish people. They couldn't look at him. They just wanted to help the child and leave. This Glickman, eventually when he went out of the room, bumped into no one else than Moshe Brand. And at the time that Moshe Brand saw him, he right away fainted. They got him up, and he sees Glickman in front of him again. A Glickman that was trying to help out his son, Chaim Brand, that just came out of giving the tissues needed, he tried to help him out, that he was weak a little bit, tried to help him out, stand, Moshe Brand screamed at him, don't touch my son, it's not enough that you killed my, my, that you killed my other son, that now you're coming to, to, to touch my son, don't touch him. When he hears that, he doesn't understand, me? I killed your son? How did I kill your son? I never killed anybody. He told him, how are you talking like that? You are the couple. You killed so many Jewish people. You hurt so many Jewish people. I know exactly how vicious you are. Don't play the righteous person that you are. At that time, he didn't have anything more to say. He kept quiet and he told everybody, let me explain to you what it was. At the time of Nazi Germany, I was indeed the couple. But I was just hidden couple. I was trying to help out every Jew that I can. Every time that there was any decree of the Nazis, I was trying to help out and make sure that no one gets hurt. And really, anybody that was under me was saved, and nobody was killed. Moshe Brand heard that. He screamed at him, What are you talking about? Didn't you take Lulik and kill him? He told him, How do you know about Lulik? It doesn't matter how I know about Lulik. You tell us exactly how you killed Lulik. Glickman told him, you need to know, there was a boy named Lulik. And this Lulik was one of my agents. He helped me out, get the people food, and get arm. We worked together. We worked in every possible way to help the Jewish people. 
this Lulik was a very talented boy that was able to do things that nobody else was doing. And therefore I used him to help us out. He was one of my agents. He went every night and he got food for the Jewish people. I played the tough guy as the vicious person and, he, and I helped him out help everybody else. At the time when the Germans find out that there's a boy helping out the Jewish people, they decided they have to find him and kill him. I knew that if I'm not going to get involved over here, this Lulik, this boy, is going to get killed. So therefore, I decided I'm going to come and do it myself. I came one day into the place and made sure to find Lulik. I took him with me and together with the other Germans that were escorting me and bringing me into the place and taking me out, we went into the fields. And the purpose for that was in order to kill Lulik. But in reality, I took the gun that I had and killed those Germans instead. Lulik I took and I gave him to a Poland family, which I paid money in order to make sure that they're going to raise him until I'll be able to take him away. Eventually, when I came back and the war was finished, I went back to that family and I took Lulik back. So the father, Moshe Brand, told him, You're a liar! How could you say that? Where is Lulik? If you saved him, where is Lulik? He tells him, Lulik? Lulik is that boy that's sitting in the other room, Israel, Bartov, that tried to get the transport right now. When Moshe Brand heard that, he fell down again, fainted again. He couldn't believe that his Lulik is actually the one that needs the transplant. And now they understood why there was exact match between the two brothers, Lulik and Chaim Brand. They were, bro they were brothers with an exact match of tissues for the bone marrow. This is an amazing story. And that story is actually what we have in our parasha over here. When the Torah says that there were, so, there were, there were policemen in Mitzrayim, those policemen were not acting as policemen in behalf of the Germans. On the contrary, they were giving discounts to the Jewish people, making sure that they're not going to be hurt in any way, making sure that they're not going to do extra work more than they can but at the expense of being beat up every single day, every single day. But the Jewish people didn't know that. When they came out of Mitzrayim, the people that they hated the most, the people that were out of everybody's sight, they didn't want to associate with them, was those policemen, was those shutrim, the Jewish Judenrat, as we spoke before. Those Jewish Judenrat, just like they were in Germany, so is here in Mitzrayim. They knew these are the bad people, and we're not going to associate with them. We're not going to talk to them. We're not going to take them into our minyan. We're not going to marry our children to their children. They were always on the, on the other side. Nobody wanted to associate with them. The only one that knew that it wasn't true was Moshe Rabenu. And therefore, the Pasuk says over here that when you appoint those Shivim Zekanim, you knew, only you knew that they were the ones that were, do, that were, hurt, that were hurt for Klal Yisrael. Rashi says, You yourself, Moshe Rabbeinu, know what they went through in Mitzrayim. But in reality, nobody else knew. Therefore, Kadosh Baruch says to Moshe Rabbeinu, Make sure they stand with you. Now they're going to come and stand together with you. 
those shotrim, so people realize what they went through in Mitzrayim. And now, when people would understand that those shotrim were not really against them, there were people that were trying to help them, people would start respecting them. This story tells us that not everything we can see in our eyes is actually what it is behind the scenes. Sometimes we see things in one way, but you need to know that behind the scenes could be the things that are happening very, very differently. The story of Lulik demonstrates that beautifully. And this is a story in our parasha, Parashat Ba'alotcha, with the Shotrim. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.